Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Contractor Evolution Show. This is Benji, and my guest today is Brian Balmer, star of HGTV's hit shows Disaster DIY, Leave It to Brian, Island of Brian, among many others. He's been very popular over the years. Now, behind the TV persona is a sophisticated yet down-to-earth businessman with a super diverse portfolio of companies, the largest being his actual construction company, Balmer Quality Construction, which is based in the GTA and is on trend to do 60 million plus next year. In today's conversation, we talk about a few things, how and why our education system is underserving mechanically minded youth, the best and worst parts of being a TV star, why hiring a CFO was one of the smartest business decisions that he's ever made, and then we get into the growth that it unlocked. And lastly, I get his honest and unpolished take on what effects both positive and negative HGTV shows like his have had on the construction industry as a whole. I also want to mention, in addition to his real estate portfolio, hotels and production company, Brian also founded Balmer Approved, an accreditation program that helps homeowners find high integrity contractors in their local communities and helps contractors connect with more of their ideal clientele. And you can check that out using the link in the description, or if you're watching on YouTube, you can click up here. Without further ado, let's dive in with Brian. You're listening to Contractor Evolution, where we unpack the systems, tactics, and skills you need to take your fast-growing contracting business to the next level. If you're here to learn what it takes to scale up, work less, and increase profitability, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned to learn what separates the new breed of contractor from the old school, and welcome to your ultimate guide on the business of contracting. Brian, how are you? It's good to see you. Thanks for coming on the show today. I'm well. I'm well, and uh, thanks for having me. I um, I was doing a little like digging, a little research, a little reading on your story, and there was there was something that caught my eye, and I thought this would be a as good a place as any to start this conversation. You on your path to what you've become and what you've done now, I'm kind of going back, you know, quite a few years ago, early days, you were on a very different route. I understand you were kind of doing private school. I believe you went and did poli sci at, I think Western, uh, and it looked for all intents and purposes, like you were kind of on a pre law route. And, uh, at some point along the way, you're like, nah, the same for me. I really like this construction thing. I think being a contractor would be cool. You know, take us back to those early days. What what was that decision about? Why did you kind of make that course correction? What was the draw? What changed for you? Because um, from the outside looking in, I mean, that's a big, big change. You've changed lanes and it's obviously worked out well for you. But what was that about for you uh, back in those days? Geez, this is uh this could be a six hour conversation. Um, I'll tell you, I, I grew up in a blue collar family, <clears throat> you know, with my um my dad, German guy, had his own company at the airport. He did um, aircraft sheet metal. Uh, you know, he was he was the guy that escaped from East Germany under a train with a you know wearing his lederhosen, had a quarter in his pocket. He was on the ocean through storms, hiking through snow to get uh, to get home. You know, you know the story that totally. a lot of people get from their from their parents. You know, life life was tough. Um, but he was an entrepreneurial guy and and a blue collar guy. He wore a shop coat to work every day, and he came home with you know aluminum dust all over them, smelling of MEK and, and, you know, building parts for and maintaining private and military and commercial airplanes. So I grew up, you know, surrounded by tools, uh, messing up my dad's, you know, tool room and getting yelled at, taking apart the, the lawnmower and, 
you know, if we had to do a roof at home, he'd, he'd buy the material and he'd read the instructions. We'd try it. We'd screw it up. We'd read the instructions again, re-engineer them because he was German. And um, we'd, we'd figure it out and, and do it again. So I kind of grew up in that in that world of tools and building. And, you know, if you needed to do something, you had to figure it out and do it. And, and a manual labor, you know, dirt at the end of the day kind of yeah. kind of world. Um, but he worked his ass off. You know, he worked 100 hours a week. There were a lot of, um, you know, a lot of weekends. He was in, in, in the shop, in the hangar, working away and, um, you know, sacrificed a lot for us and managed to put my brother and I into private school. We did a, an eight-year sentence at uh, Appleby <laughs> College in Oakville. And, um, you know, I, I grew up having a, a little horse on my shirt wearing a tie and, you know, with uh, most of my friends are doctors, lawyers, businessmen, yeah. investors, um, bankers, that kind of thing. And uh, when it came time for, uh, you know, that, that chat with your guidance counselor, what do you want to do with your life, Mr. Baumler? I said, well, you know, I, I want to have a nice car and my dad's lawyer has a nice car, so I should be a lawyer. Uh, and that, that kind of set me off into that political science and, and business and, and pre-law world. But previously to that, I mean, when I was 14, I opened a, a handyman company with a friend of mine on Georgian Bay and uh, we worked away and, you know, ended up hauling garbage and, and doing all kinds of work for, for different contracting companies and, and essentially doing our apprenticeship hours with a framing company up there. Um, and that was a real passion of mine and a love. We, we loved it. So I always had this, this pull, you know, you're at private school, you're wearing a tie, you should go into business. Um, and the other pull was, no, you should get on the tools and, and do what you love. That, that's what you want to focus on. So after school, after university, I took a year off and moved to Vancouver to I just, just, you know, grow up for a year. I have some experiences. I ended up opening a company in the airline field. I ended up doing work with my previous partner partner in our uh, our, our business on, on paper anyway. Um, you know, doing some renovations in condos and, and basements and things like that. You know, just waiting to go to law school. And I think it was in that year I finally realized, hang on a second. You know, being in the trades is a business. Uh, you can be a businessman. And you can be dirty. Uh, you can do something fulfilling that you love. You can focus. You can be passionate about it. So I, I came back to Toronto and I went to George Brown. I took the Renault Tech and the building code update courses and what have you. And that was it. I, um, you know, that that was at the point I opened my own company and and just just went for it. And and I knew it. I knew it was the right decision because I got up, you know, happy to go to work. It's not hard to work, wake up in the morning when you're happy to go to work. Did that group of friends or that crowd that you were in kind of look at you like you you were you know a little crazy like they're you know they're all headed to uh, BLG and other big firms and like moving into I I know that Toronto scene I've got lots of friends and family yeah. there I know it's a different it's a slightly different vibe it's a different mindset it's a different worldview they're all going. Uh, the, the white collar route in here, you are opening up uh, a small construction company where they kind of like, man, what's, what's going on with Brian? Um, you know, I think it's funny because we, we lived in the country and, you know, all, all of my friends, you know, that lived in town, they all wanted to come to our house. We had the ATVs and the snowmobiles right. and the tools and the airport and the hangar and, you know, we had the fun stuff. Um, it was like the dirty little secret, you know, let's go hang out with the, with the country boy and the, the blue collar <laughs> kid. Um, but, you know, now, you know, looking back, you know, we build their houses and we build their offices and we, uh, you know, we, we, we pay for a significant amount of the sidewalks they walk on and the roads they drive sure. on through our taxes. 
And, you know, 17 businesses and 150 plus employees in three different countries later, um, I think, you know, I think a lot of people talk about the stigma in the trades. And I think it used to be, you know, oh, that kid's not doing very well in school, put him on the tools. Um, but there is this this new breed of, of contractor that is a businessman. It's an entrepreneur. I mean, the goal is not to still be on the tools when you're 60, unless that's exactly what you enjoy doing. Uh, and that's fine. But the goal is to run a business and capitalize on that and open another business based on that. And, and so it, it's really an entrepreneurial, you know, job. I don't know what my, my job is when, when it says, you know, what's your, what's your job? I never know what to write down. I, I usually put janitor. Um, but it, it's really about being entrepreneurial and, you know, at the same time doing those things that you love and, and taking part in businesses that surround that business that you love. Yeah. I, I, that really resonates with, with us here, that whole concept of new breed. I think that I, I personally feel like that stigma is, is, uh, changing very quickly and all but disappeared at this point. Maybe that's the bubble I think, that I live I in. Dead. What's that? Dead. People talk about this stigma, you know, oh, you, you know, nah. there's still this stigma. There's no stigma. Nah. The contractors are trades now, you know, trades people, men and women that are in it. We're the ones driving $100,000 pickup trucks. <laughs> we're the ones with snowmobiles on the back. You know, we're the ones with cottages and, and vacations and trips. And, you know, we're the ones with airplanes, uh, you know, we're not the employees, you know, we're only getting paid our hourly rate sitting in a cubicle after spending, you know, an hour and a half on the highway every morning. And in that, in that thing, I think, I think the stigma is, is has moved to like, Oh, you're, you know, an influencer or you're, Oh, you, you <laughs> sit in an office and, and shuffle paper. Um, you know, what can you actually tangibly do? Right. Uh, so I, I think that that stigma has, you know, eroded quickly Mm. Uh, and I think, to be honest, I think the trades now, you know, people sitting in their BMWs on the highway, you know, look at the people in the pickup trucks and they think, oh, man, I should have made better choices. Well, I think, you know, it's that's so spot on everything that you just <laughs> say, especially about the material wealth front and sort of like the ch the ch the changing of the guard, if you will, like uh, this this stigma or this perception is certainly dead, um, you know. Construction business owners, uh, trades business owners, contractors, broadly speaking, are doing really, really well. So there's there's that component of it. We park that off to the side, but I think there's another element to this that I've I've spent some time thinking about, which is in this modern era, it's very difficult. You know, there's a bit of a crisis of meaning that it seems people are going through these days. They don't quite you know, understand their purpose on earth. They're not really a hundred percent sure if they're on the right path. They're not totally satisfied with where they spend their time uh, on the work front. And I don't, I really see very little of that in our little space. And I think there's something about the fact that you can reach out and touch what you do, what you build, what you create at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the end of the year, yeah. you can you can see it. It's right there. The impact you're making is not difficult to quantify or mysterious or kind of um, obscured. It's very, very <coughs> obvious. And I think that there's a level of just like you can hang your hat on that at the end of the day, being like, you know what? Yeah. It may not be the most sexy. It may not be the most glamorous, but God damn it. I built that house and that's cool. Um and I think that there's. But see, you know what? It is, it is sexy and it is glamorous, you know, to, 
you know, you're you're swinging hammers, you're cutting wood, you got the nail gun going. I mean, this, this is this is everyone's childhood fantasy, you know, <laughs> to play with machinery, jump in the excavator. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head. A lot of young people now, and and I think it's part partly due to the stigmas that did exist, and I think it's in part to you know a complete failure of our education system. Mm. Kids are being presented with intangible options, so you know pushing, you know pushing getting into business or or, or whatever it may be. Um, if you're not doing something tangible, it's really hard to to see the progress and to really benefit mentally from that. So what we do is tangible. You know, at the end of the day, I can look at something and say, I put that together. I cut those, I, I glued those on, I, I put nail, whatever it may be. It's very, very tangible. Uh, and the trades in general are tangible. You see the results physically typing and, and saving a file. It's not really tangible. It's just, it's just repetitive. And you see the same thing over and over again. You know, you, you rarely you, you'll hear contractors say, I've done 500 basements. You rarely, you know, hear someone say, I've sent 500 emails. Yeah. Like what? Who cares? Oh, great. And what what did that achieve? You know, so I, I think it's the tangibility uh, that is sexy. I think that's where you get rewarded physically. I mean, you're doing physical labor. You're being active, um, you know, in, until you can, until your knees and your back start to go out and, and then. It's a matter of growing your business and identifying those younger people that that have the skills or you can build those skills for them to take over. Um, you know, my goal from the start was not to be tiling kitchen floors until I'm 75. It was getting to a point where I could hire someone younger, teach them how to do that, pay them well to do it and, and allow them to progress as well. You mentioned um, complete and total failure of the school system, and I I, uh, I share that view. So let me let's linger on that for a second. How could our educators, um, you know, let's, let's not be let, without being mean. Let's just be real. Like, how could our educators yeah. do a better job showcasing the opportunities that lie in these fields? How what do they need to be doing that they aren't currently? I think, you know, I, I, teachers in general, I think, are wonderful people. I, I think, um, you know, they, they tend to love the kids and love giving them the experience and delivering the curriculum that they're required to. Um, what we've learned in the last four or five years, living on the boat, living on an island, living in the RV, uh, living in a 700-square-foot a, a villa with two dogs, a cat, and a lizard, and, and uh, baby ducks, um, I've learned that kids learn the most when you stop teaching them when you when you present them with information just to consume and regurgitate they're not really learning you have to teach them how to learn and you have to remove all the barriers for for, for learning from them so i think teachers would be much more effective uh, if they were allowed the latitude to identify the kids in class that are excelling at one thing or showing interest in another and allowed to expand on that Rather than, you know, having to, to follow this railroad track set up by, you know, people that, that are not in that space necessarily. So uh, I think it's sad that kids come out of high school. They don't know how to you know cook a dinner. They don't know how to clean uh, clothes. They don't know how to drive a car or, or operate machinery. They don't know how to hang a, a picture. They don't know how to maintain anything. Um, all they know how to do is get handed a credit card when they walk through the university gates and start paying interest um, and borrow a bunch of money for the, for the pleasure of, of, of being there. So 
I think we really need to, uh, you know, look at that and go more experiential. If, if a kid, you know, I remember sitting at Applebee's staring out the window and, you know, people would say, oh, the maintenance guys. And I thought, well, shit, I, I want to be out there driving the tractor with those maintenance guys. I want to I want to go work with them. Um, and the opportunity wasn't there. And, and to be fair, I mean, Applebee was not a school that, you know, <laughs> was, a, was a trade promoting school. Um, but I, I think all those opportunities should be available to kids. It's it's not about forcing information into them. It's about removing barriers and access to information that they are genuinely interested in. So it's so well said. Uh, there's there's a number of things there I, I want to pick apart. Um, the first is, you know, uh, the the system, the education system, one of the things, and just by the way, I was homeschooled. So when you talk about we li- we're living on a boat, living here, there's animals all over the place. That was exactly yeah. my story as well. <laughs> and I talked, I you yeah. know, talked to my parents about it now as a, as an adult. I'm like, thank you guys so much for doing that. There's so much about my worldview and the way that I approach problems and things. You know, if I can say humbly, things that I'm really proud of about myself that came 100% from a very like unschooled approach. We would just go spend two yeah. months in Africa and learn about the history there. We would go to, we went to yep. Poland and hang out there for months and do a little module on World War II and then go and visit all the sites. I mean, it just was a completely different way of educating and uh, I turned out fine. So like, you know, you know what, what's that? What disappears when, when parents do that for their kids, what disappears is fear. What yeah. disappears is racism what disappears is uh you know misunderstanding yeah um we, we got to the bahamas we moved to an island you know we're the we're the only white family on the island we, we just got there we've got our kids and and our kids got off the boat and you know we weren't sure how how, how is this going to go this is a big big cultural shift for us <clears throat> and the kids you know got off the boat and they looked over and they went kids and they were gone and they made best friends and they had sleepovers and they had different experiences and they ate different foods they experienced, you know, friends that, that lived in generational homes and lived with aunts and uncles and grandparents involved in their family and their education. And it was such a beautiful thing to just allow them to experience that culture and and a different place and different different people, just as if like, oh, th- this is this is great. So it eliminates all those things and it, it ends up bringing people together. I think the more you travel, the more you experience, the more barriers you remove from your children, mm. you know, get, pop that bubble mm. and they experience things and learn things the way that people are meant to. You know, your kids are going to, your kids are going to grow up and they're going to be really interesting, dynamic, uh, like think critically thinking worldly kids who have opinions and who say things and yeah. who aren't these sort of, not, not to stereotype, but there is sort of this cohort of young people today that are kind of you know, they seem like simulation people. They're too, they don't yeah. want to have an opinion. I don't want to say the wrong thing yeah. and be in trouble. I don't want to take a risk. I'm just going to follow the path, uh, you know, the path more traveled and end up in total mediocrity and sadness and boredom in my, in my thirties yeah. and forties. And I think that, and I think that that is starting to catch up with us. The other comment that I wanted to make on the, on the education thing, and then, and then we'll, we'll, we'll move into some other parts of your story is, um, you know, I, I think the thing with school that is very apparent to me, having gone to gone to school, gone to university, a huge chunk of my uh, early years was homeschooled. Um, it's impossible for a system that large, that behemoth 
to keep up with the rate of change that the real world right. experiences. <clears throat> it seems like they're always 30 years behind what's actually going on. You're a business person, Brian. You know how quickly like, the trends yeah. in marketing change, how quickly the trends in branding change. New operational systems yeah. like technologies come in and make what was relevant five years ago completely obsolete. And so I remember sitting in a class learning supply chain management. This is like the last day I ever was – this is a – when I dropped out of university for the third time and didn't go back, I was sitting there learning supply chain management and I could just tell, I'm like, this entire course was invented 10 years ago because you guys needed to sell, you guys needed to sell, uh, sell courses and this university needs students. So we got to teach them something. None of this has any bearing on the real world. This is so old. This is so obsolete. I know for a fact, cause I, at the time I owned my own little painting business and was, and that was growing and I was having fun with it. I could just tell them like, this is, you are so disconnected and far removed from what's actually going yeah. on on the field right now. And, uh, and so forget it. I'm not interested in this. Now, the, I'm, I'm not saying that that's the right path for everyone. Those are the decisions that I made. I think that for certain, for certain careers and for certain passions and for certain things, you absolutely need education. You need lots of higher education. But I think for the entrepreneurially minded, which is who we're talking about right now, I'm not sure that it's actually the right home for a lot of those young people. And I think that you're better off going and getting your hands dirty, going and traveling, going and working at a job that you absolutely hate so you can learn that you hate it and then go try something else. I'm, I'm a proponent of that kind of experiential learning. And uh, it's, a, it's just an interesting tangent there on the education front. Or waiting until you identify something that, that you connect with, that you're interested in and passionate about. And while you're, while you're working or, or experiencing those things in real time, night courses, weekend courses, like there's 24 hours in a day. Yeah. You, know, you really only need seven of those to sleep get on a night course that actually interests you that you actually want to learn those skills now if you're going into a licensed trade you know mechanical electrical something like that you need to go and learn those nuts and bolts of course in, you in school mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely critical but you know a, a lot of that stuff like you say it's set up to produce avatars that just walk the line and uh and, and there isn't really that experience in education for those you know those entrepreneurial minded people that that will you know teach them how to teach themselves anything you learn in in school or in university you can learn sitting on your ipad you know reading things online watching videos trying things um exploring that that's how they put these things together all that information is available you're just paying someone to present it to you in a one two three abc format right. uh, whereas if you teach people how to learn you could go and learn all this stuff yourself i mean somebody learned it to write the textbook you can do that for yourself as the um, the quality of content that is uh, educational content that is available right now on YouTube and seemingly getting better every year is is mind blowing. You can teach yeah. yourself how to be a world class Facebook ads manager in about three months using free content on YouTube. It's just insane. So that's what I mean. Where it's like the world over here is changing, and then over here we're still kind of teaching people watered down courses on on whatever that has really no bearing on what they're actually going to be experiencing when they leave. Anyway, I want to get, I want to get back to a, 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 kind of your story here. Like um, somewhere along the way you pursued a TV deal. What were you doing at the time? What was that decision about? Um, 
why 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 was that like important for you to do when you were kind of running your your small and growing little business at that time? Uh, so when I when I had first you know hung hung my own shingle out and uh, you know bought my first truck and and started working, it was myself. You know, I was owner operator. Um, I was the uh, CFO, CEO, the accountant, the the janitor at night, the the estimator. I mean, everybody that's that's done owner operator knows what it's like. Um, within five, six years, I, I had, uh, five or six employees and I was looking to, you know, we were doubling business every year from year one. And, and one of the biggest reasons was at the end of the day, I stayed for an extra hour or two and I organized the offcuts and I got rid of the garbage and I swept up and I unplugged the nail guns and, you know, I made it presentable for the homeowners. So that was, that was a really big part of it. And, and I think another big part of it was I showed up. And I did what I told them I would do, and I cashed the check, and I paid my taxes, uh, and I went to sleep at night, and that was it. And interestingly enough, when I bought my first truck and you know bought a bunch of money and put my name on it, uh, you know my dad showed up, who was frugal. You know he was he was he was frugal because he had worked so hard and and uh, you know grown up in a different time. Then he pointed at the truck and he said, "Do you see that?" And I thought, here we go. I'm going to get the you shouldn't spend money before you made it speech. And I said, yeah, dad. But, you know, in today's business world, marketing and branding is important. Right, you have to right. look successful, be successful. Then he said, no, that's my name. Don't fuck it up. And uh, and I kind of looked at him. I thought, oh, OK, that's a that's a big that's Whoa. a tall order. And my mom piped in and she said, and keep your nose clean. And what she meant, she ran the business for my father. She ran the office side. She ran the accounting and the payroll and the taxes. And what she meant was show up when you say you'll be there. Do what you say you'll do. Pay your employees. Take care of your employees. Uh, you know, cash the check. Pay your taxes. And you can sleep at night. You mm -hmm. never have to look over your shoulder. So following those simple rules uh, from my parents, you know, we started growing the business. Part of my marketing strategy, you know, was – was sending out thousands of flyers. You know, every, everybody did that. Now it's, you know, Instagram. Now it's Facebook ads. You, you name it. And you have to do that kind of stuff. But I was sitting on the couch watching television one day, and, you know, there's the host of the show, and beside him is his plumber, and he's pointing at his plumber saying, and, and there's his plumber's name and his company name underneath him, and he's saying, if you need plumbing done, this is the only guy in the world that can do it. Everyone else will burn your house down. They'll flood it. They'll they'll you know, steal your wife, they'll eat all your food, they'll burn your house down, whatever it may be. This is the only guy that can install the toilet. And, and I looked at that and I thought, holy shit, this guy went and installed a toilet, you know, ostensibly for free. And look at the ad, he's getting millions of dollars worth of advertising. Now, can he put that to use? Probably not. So I, I went on the casting call page and I shot a, a, an email to a, to a production company that was casting for a new show. And I said, my name's Brian, I've got five employees. You know, four of them have all their teeth. Three of them are, have faces for camera, and uh, you know, two of them are sober most of the time. I have I have a printout of this email. It's, it's pretty funny. Um, I'd love it's to not see quite it. verbatim. Yeah, that's hilarious. But, you know, I said, look, I'll come down for three months. I'll make an investment in my marketing. I'll come for three months, and I will provide all of your construction labor for this show in exchange for the advertising. And it 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 got all twisted around, and and whatever happened before I knew it, I was sitting you know, downtown in the, in the production building, the, the network building, uh, you know, talking to, to the, the head of content. And she said, how would you like to have your own show? And I, I said, wait, wait a minute. You're going to give me jobs to do, pay me to do them. You're going to edit them to make me look perfect. And you're going to broadcast that to my target audience. 
And she said, yes. And I said, where do I sign? Yeah. And that was it. it it's, it's taken on a bit of a life of its own. Um, it certainly has. <laughs> and uh, like, you know, your, your, your businesses and your story and your persona has obviously grown a ton since those early days. But do you remember the effect that it had that kind of, you know, free <laughs> marketing had on your back home business? Did it, did it do what you thought it would do? Was it, you know, overnight, did you have a, a huge flood of phone calls? Like what, uh, what did it do for your small business? Only five people at the time. Now all of a sudden you're on TV getting featured as an expert and looking pro and in every, in every shot, like what's, what did that do for the company and its growth? So marketing wise, you know, I kind of thought that the, the first time this show answers, my, my phone's going to melt and there's going to be yeah. flocks of people banging right. on it. And, and that didn't happen. Um, you know, it, it, marketing is like anything. It's repetition. You know, you, you see an ad, great. You see it again, okay. You know, you see it three, four, five, six times repetitively. And one day you think, I'm kind of thirsty. You know, I've seen this ad a hundred times. Maybe I'll go and get one of those. So it, it really is repetitive. It took a little while to build, but I would say after the first season aired, um, and at the time filming these, these shows, you know, we were working literally anywhere from 16 to 20 hours a day, six to seven days a week uh, for six months straight. And when the calls did start coming in and the phone calls did start coming in, we had started filming season two. Um, and it was tough because we just didn't have the time to, grow and focus on the business. The first three years of filming, uh, you know, I could barely pay my mortgage. I took a massive pay cut. Wow. And at the end of the day, I thought it's okay because I'm on television. And I kept thinking, when is this going to pay off? When's it going to pay off? But, you know, as soon as we started getting that, that traffic through the marketing, um, you know, the, the business started to grow when we had time for it. The difficulty was, you know, if you're busy doing one thing for six months and then it ends, you can't decide on a Friday, I'm going to build a house on Monday. I'm going to renovate a basement on Monday. I'm going to do a kitchen. It doesn't work like that. You don't just go and pick from the tree and, and do the work. It takes weeks or months to, to get, you know, a, a job set up and get in place. So it, it was really tough for the first three years. And that's, that's why after the third year, I said, I, I need to take a break, mm. focus on the business and actually capitalize on some of this marketing that we had put together. Construction and production and running your own business and being entrepreneurial, they're, they're animals that do not live well together in the same cage. I can tell you that. Well, that's one of the things I'm, uh, I'm really curious to kind of pick your brain on in a couple minutes here. Just bat, like the, the, the sort of juggling act between the two. You've got the, you've got, you know, Brian, the persona, the character, and then you have Brian, the actual entrepreneur with businesses that need to be run. So we'll dive into that. But, um, before we do, I just had two kind of what I think are interesting questions that make sense to ask at this point. What are, what yep. are the best? What are maybe like the unexpected? Give us an inside look. Take us under the hood. Um, what's what are the best and worst parts of being a recognizable TV star? There's got to be stuff that you love and that's fun, and there's got to be stuff that bugs you. Yeah, I mean the the best parts, you know, the interesting parts are you know if you have, if you ever are maybe exceeding the speed limit a little bit. Uh, you know, and you get to meet uh, meet someone on the highway, you know, there's, there's a nine out of 10 chance <clears throat> they say, hey, my mom's a big fan. Uh, slow it down a little. Uh, so I haven't had a speeding ticket in a while. Granted, I don't I never speed, so I don't have to worry about that. Um, you know, you get you get tables at restaurants. You get to meet interesting people and celebrities. You get to travel. You get the green M&Ms and the fresh pair of socks in the waiting room when you're doing media. Think Stuff like that. Yeah. Um, 
but you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that that's, you know, those are some of the little perks. Um, you know, the bad side is, you know, on day one, I still remember showing up for the, for the pilot and I thought, Oh my God, we've signed this television show. Things are going to explode. This is great. I was standing there and, you know, all of a sudden I had this hairy arm up my shirt hooking on a microphone and there's people running around, getting ready to do things. And my heart rate went from 65 to 365. And I remembered, you have an anxiety disorder. Really? How the, how the fuck are you going to get in front of a camera? The first three seasons of that show, I was in panic mode 24-7. I mean, just, you know, tachycardia, sweating, thinking I was going to die at any second. Um, it was it was terrifying. And that was that was my first three seasons of that show. I remember the first public speaking you know, gig I did at a home show. I stood up on stage and I looked out and I just felt that click. You know, my world moved a little bit and the heart rate went up and I thought, what the hell am I doing? I can't do this. So that was a real challenge. Did you like actually people, have like a nameable anxiety disorder? Like, did you have a like a, a real thing back then in, in, in the in the oh, yeah, in your I, 20s I was, or just I like a little stage fright? Or, What's that? Yeah. I mean, years ago I was agoraphobic. I, I could barely leave the house. I had, um, yeah, it was, it was rough for a while when, uh, when I was out in Vancouver, when I first came back, but it was something, you know, you just had to power through, um, for me. And, and this in retrospect was the most amazing exposure therapy, uh, that, that I could have ever asked for. It was, Oh, you, you've got a, a fear of public speaking. Well, here, why don't you get up there and stand in front of 5,000 people and, and talk to them? So, there's that. There's the imposter syndrome. A lot of people go through. There's there's all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know now especially and, and since I, I mean I started twenty almost twenty years ago now we started filming the first show. There's public opinion. Everybody's an expert. Everybody you know this guy loves you. This guy hates you. This guy thinks you're a moron. This guy thinks you're a, you know the most amazing thing that's ever happened. Um, you know she thinks you're pretty. He thinks you're ugly. It's it's it, it's so much noise. Uh, there's a lot of noise out there. So, you know, everybody else is perfect and, and that stuff can start to wear on you. So that, that's one of the, the things that's not great. And I think that's why you see a lot of people that, that are public figures or well-known or in that, in that television space or whatever it is. Um, you know, there, there's a mental health cost to it for sure. Right. But over the years, it, I mean, you know, I, I don't know you well, but I've just, I've gotten, I, we met last week. We're talking a little bit today. I mean, it's, you seem very grounded and very real. You must have found a way to manage well, this and not become one of these cuckoo reality TV people that you see, right? I mean, yeah. uh, you're not in that category. Well, so you figured something that. out. I've, I've met a lot of interesting you know, celebrity type people. And that that's, a, it's, it's an uncomfortable word. I mean, if I had been able to do the shows and stay behind the scenes and just have our logos and build the business, sure. that I would have been happy. You know, I never, I never went to, I, I don't go to a restaurant and think, well, I'm the celebrity. So give me the, give me the table immediately. I think, well, we better make a reservation or we're going to have to wait. Um, so that, that in itself is, I mean, that's an entirely, that's probably an entire season of podcasts just to try and you know, get, get through that mental mess. Um, but it's, you get to a point where you realize, and I think it, it's getting older. Uh, you realize that the people complaining the most and the people, you know, I, I think, I think they say, you know, winners focus on winners and, and losers focus on winners. Yeah. Um, and, and that's it. I mean, you, you get to a point where it's like, Oh, you don't like me. Okay. Um, Enjoy your bus ride. Uh, 
<laughs> I'm going to the Bahamas. And, and you start to give less of a shit about, you know, all of that stuff. So there's a lot of noise. Everybody at the end of the day wants to, you know, do well for themselves, pay their bills, love their kids, take care of their family. Um, and I think you have to focus on doing that and focus on raising other people up around you. Yeah. You know, I see there's so many young contractors now that are putting out content um, and doing things online and, and trying to gain popularity and, and, you know, get tool deals and get sponsorships. And, and I think it's great. Um, that's what they want to do. That's what they're interested in and passionate about. Amazing. You know, help lift these guys up. Um, you know, as soon as you, you sit down and start grumbling about someone, you're focusing on someone else and their success and your own jealousy, you know, rather than focusing on your own success and where you need to go. So I think I think that that's one thing about the industry that has turned a little bit with social media and, and so many people getting involved in it. And everybody is a broadcaster now. Anyone with the phone or an iPad totally. is a network. Yeah. Um, everyone's an expert. Everyone's a guru. Everyone is a genius. Yeah. It's it's tricky. And you get these people that say, well, you know, I'm entitled to my opinion. Yes, you are. You're also entitled to shut the fuck up and not share your opinion. Um, <laughs> and, and, I, and, that's and I don't need too. to be entitled to give a shit that you have the opinion. It's just your exactly. opinion. I, I've heard a lot of successful people talk about this whole idea, and I think it's an interesting one and, and um, something I'm sure our listeners can can resonate with as they're growing their business. And I'm sure that they will have their own little version of this, however it looks. Um, the, the, one of the real early signs that you're finding success is that when you start to have haters, I think Gary Vaynerchuk was yes. the first person to coin this term. He's like the best thing that you can ever have is a bunch of people commenting on your stuff or talking behind your back or trying to make fun of you. He's like, just, that is an amazing yep. sign. Keep going. You're doing something right. And there's something really interesting about that. We were joking the other yep. day on the market, on our marketing team. We've got our, you know, we've, we're getting our first few like batches of really nasty comments about this podcast. And I'm like, like, bring it on. I'm like, yeah, this Benji guy sucks. Get him off here. I'm like, yeah. awesome. More the great please. thing. I think the greatest thing for me, not the greatest thing, but one, one thing I find really entertaining is you'll get people that every show that airs, you know, oh, I'm never watching this again. This guy sucks. I hate him. The next show. I'm never watching this again. This shows every show, every season for years. And it's like, you don't have to announce your departure. Right. You know, like just, just leave, just leave. Um, yeah. But here's the thing. If people are talking about you marketing, good or bad, whatever it may be, thanks for watching. Mm -hmm. um, you know, thanks for, thanks for talking about it. Thanks for whatever. Thanks for sharing your opinion. Thanks for engaging. Um, I'm not worried about that. Yeah. You know, you, 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 it, it's like driving or, or walking in the, in the, uh, you know, in a, in a supermarket mm -hmm. and, you know, you walk past the bacon. You don't care what the bacon thinks. You know, you're just you're gonna fry it up and eat it. Right. And I'm not I'm not worried about what the bacon thinks. As long as the bacon is in my cart and it's coming home and hitting the frying pan, it's fine. You know, on the note of on the note of uh, criticism or critique or haters, this I, this I think is a really interesting question, and it's one it's it's really one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on. So one of the um, one of the comments, Brian, that I'm sure you've heard from contractors um, is there's there's 
you know, call it complaining, call it concern, whatever. Basically what I've heard many times over about HGTV shows like yours and characters like yep. you is they'll say, well, you know, these, these goddamn shows, they make the building process look so simple. They completely dramatize the whole process. They give the wrong expectations to the homeowner and it's made, you know, me doing my work so much harder, whatever. They, there's, there's a, there's a litany of complaints that they have. And I just want your, your, um, take on this because you're very uniquely positioned to have some perspective on it. So the question is this, like what impacts, what impacts positive and negative do you think that HGTV shows like yours have had on the construction industry as a whole from the, from the customer side, from the homeowner side, and then as well for the contractor? So that that is a, this is a great question. And it, it, it comes up, it doesn't come up that often. It comes up a lot. Some people are focused on it. That's their life. You know, they want to complain about it. But I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. You will never hear a successful uh, and qualified and skilled contractor or tradesperson talking shit about anybody. Anyone that is successful. I mean, is Peter Gilgan online complaining about HGTV shows? No, he's busy building tens of thousands of homes. Um you don't hear this stuff from smart, successful, entrepreneurial tradespeople. Right. You just don't hear it. You hear this from the, it's, you know, they, it, it's kind of like they say that, um, you know, everyone's got an opinion. They're like assholes. Well, the loudest ones are the ones that stink. And, 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 but they're the fewest as well. Right. So here's the truth about HGTV. And I think people that do complain about it look at it and they think, well, this is the voice of the construction industry and how they can, how can they be doing this to us? Um, you know, you watch a show about a hospital and they cure cancer every episode. That's not how it works. Is it making it more difficult for doctors? HGTV is an entertainment. I mean, it's an entertainment channel. That, that's all it is. It's look how ugly this is. Oh, there was a fun story. Oh my God, look how nice that looks. And what it's done over the years and every, every contractor, every installer, every tradesperson, every material supplier should be sending thank you gifts to Chorus and HGTV because there's something called the HGTV effect. And as the popularity of the shows have grown over the past 20 years, there is a a direct correlation and increase in the spending of renovation, uh, domestic or, or sorry, residential renovation and construction in Canada. There is a direct correlation and increase in spending, not because they look at it and they think, oh, well, this, this guy did a, a kitchen in 30 minutes for $10,000. They look at it and they're inspired to do something at home. So they pick up the phone and they phone a contractor. They go down to a supplier. They go to a home show. This is what this is the best marketing tool. And, and what I've done, to be completely honest, I've allowed them to pay me exorbitantly for 20 years to advertise my own business and to advertise the trades in general, we've turned tradespeople into rock stars. We've turned renovating your home into the new, uh, you know, the new thing, the new sexy thing. It's like a travel show inspires people to travel. Renovation shows inspire people to renovate. They give them ideas and they grow the business. So everybody in the trades, and again, you won't hear a single successful trade complaining about any other trade or HGTV or any impact on their market. They're too busy focused on their own markets they're too busy focused on their own success to do that. Mm. So people should be thanking 
those shows for, for growing the business. Now, are they real? I, I mean, everything you see happens, of course, but it's delivered in a way that that viewers are going to consume it as entertainment. Ad buyers are going to buy the ads in it to, to, to fund the production so that the viewers get to see it and be entertained. And at the end of the day, I mean, here's the thing. We own the production company. We own the international distribution. We air in 151 different countries. So when you watch a show and and you hear somebody who's, you know, can't figure it out for themselves, not smart enough to grow their own business and be successful, you hear them complaining about, well, my now the homeowner I'm going to work for thinks I can do this in 20 minutes <laughs> for 20 grand. That might be a 15-year-old show you're watching. In in Nova Scotia, I can do a kitchen for twenty thousand. In Vancouver, it's one hundred and fifty thousand. In Toronto, it's going to be seventy-five or eighty. In Guatemala, uh, you can probably get your neighbor to help you and do it for free. Right. Um, you know, it airs worldwide, and it it's not relatable. Th- these are these are people that think very small-minded, and they're in their very tiny bubble on their own street corner, and that everything in the world relates to them, mm. and it doesn't. This. It's a global phenomenon. It has kickstarted, like I said, the, the, the redesign and the renovation business. Um, and it's a television show. If you're working for someone that thinks you should be held to the standard of a television show and you should be doing things in, in half an hour for $10,000, you're not working for the right client. You know, you're bottom feeding. Be smart enough to educate those homeowners. Be smart enough to, to put everything on paper and provide them with the costs. And, and be smart enough to use it as a marketing tool, not just complain about it because you're jealous that you're not one of the people on the show. I think that's a really spicy and fun take. Like I love everything that you just said. And it's actually something I, you know, maybe hadn't considered to, to the degree that I am now, now that you've explained it all. The... Uh, What's the term? A rising tide raises all ships. It's like when you get, when you get yep. the... Um, when this little industry gets this amount of exposure and celebritization and high resolution yeah, footage and broadcasting, it is you know, yeah, okay, you have the occasional customer who's a little bit crazy because they've they've watched <laughs> they've watched every single episode of yours four times and maybe they're a little bit like yeah. unrealistic. That's that's for sure the minority. And by and large, the the case you're making, which now that I've heard it, I tend to agree with, this has really been a huge boost and pushed a lot of disposable income into this like residential remodel, renovate, build industry of ours. A hundred percent. I mean, it's the same when, you know, all the all the build a, a, a motorcycle, build a chopper show came on You know, everybody had to have a chopper. Um, anything that that focuses on and idolizes and, and, you know, puts a little Hollywood into an industry. Uh, I mean, it lights a fire and, and it, it certainly has for construction renovations. I don't think we would see that industry anywhere. You know, you've got new products that are being showcased all the time. You've got new designs, new ideas, and and that's inspiring people at home to spend their money. So as a tradesperson, if as a smart tradesperson, you have to latch onto that and latch onto that marketing and put it to use for you and grow your business. And that's the way and that's what you should be focusing on. Um, Yeah, not not crying about a, a 15 year old episode and. And, you know, if you find yourself in, in a house with a customer like that, you deserve it. Uh, you deserve that. <laughs> your, your marketing right. sucks. Yeah, exactly. Do yeah. a better job attracting your ideal client. I agree. 
Listen, you. So here's here's where I want to move to next. Like behind like the TV persona and sort of the character, um, like you are actually like in reality a pretty sophisticated business person. I, I have some specific follow up questions. I have some specific follow up questions about the construction business in particular. <laughs> but um, can you just take us? Can you just take us through the portfolio right now? Like, what what are your many ventures? Which ones are you loving? Which ones are you growing? Which like just give us a bit of a lay of the land here. Um, I mean, you know, Bomber Quality Construction was was the, I guess, the flagship company that we opened, the original company. Um, I've had, you know, I've had I've had partners. I've had you know, um, other deals in the past that, you know, I've, I've tried all kinds of different things, but that has been the mainstay and, and grown. Uh, we own a, a custom cabinetry company, Balmer Cabinets. Uh, we've got, um, we've, oh God, we've got merchandising companies, the production company, we've got uh, vacation rental companies, we've got, you know, commercial and, uh, and, um, and uh, industrial uh, as well. So th- there's also, we've got the Balmer Proof Company that, that really is a service that we open, you know, to benefit homeowners and viewers of the shows. Um, you know, a hotel. Uh, we, we, we've got 17 different companies now in, in a spread over three, three four countries. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on. You've got, I, you know, I, I'd rather just be known as the janitor that bangs in the odd nail. <laughs> okay. okay. We, well, I, we, we can, we can, listen, I will, we'll keep it at that. I'll, I'll, I will make sure to, yeah, yeah. to introduce you as the, uh, the janitor who bangs in nails. No, but joking aside, like I do, you know, our, our listeners our, are all uh, entrepreneurs. They're all growing their businesses. They're focused on systems. They're focused on key people. They're focused on doing this the intelligent way. Um, yep. You know, I, I'm, I'm just kind of like, my mind's a little blown. Like, how do you, going back to that juggling act comment I made earlier, like how on earth did you find the balance to do what you need to do on the <coughs> TV side, but also run a growing business? I, I think, I think, uh, Balmer is like well into the eight figures. It's just a large construction company in the GTA. Now, um, how, how did you do yeah, both? Uh, Go ahead. I think we're north of 60 million in our pipeline now, just on the construction side alone. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's, we're, we're kind of, um, you know, despite the television shows, we just, we just kind of keep our heads down and do what we do and, and do it well when it comes to finding people and finding the time. And it, it's interesting you asked about balance because a lot of people, you know, that's the number one question they ask me, how do you balance it all? You know, a wife and four kids and businesses and time and vacation and what have you. And a lot of people say, you got to slow down, you got to relax. And it's like, well, I've, I've been on vacation for six weeks. I, you know, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, but it balance is, is a complete bullshit idea. There is no balance. Right. Balance does not exist anywhere. Equilibrium, uh, if you're searching for it, you're going to be searching for it until the day you die. You have to react. You have to be proactive and you have to react. And a great example of this, you know, I hear guys say all the time, I'm going to put 110% into this. And I think, well, then you've never really put in 100% anywhere because you would have realized that's the end. You have 100% to give and you have to decide where those percentage point goes. You've got to give a baseline to your marriage. You've got to give a baseline to your kids. There has to be a baseline to your business, your hobbies, your mental health, your friends, whatever it may be. And then you realize one day my wife hates me. 
I better not work as much. I better focus on her. Oh, the business is failing and, and the kids, you know, are, are having issues at school. I better focus on the business and the kids and cut back a little on the wife and the hobbies. You have to constantly adjust uh, because equilibrium, the minute you get it, it's gone. Mm. Uh, you're moving on to the next thing. And, and part of doing that is planning and looking at the next year, two years, three years, five years. You know, what do I need now? Do I have it? No. Uh, what am I going to need in five years? Here are the things. Let's start working towards those. And every single day, every moment that you have, you have to prioritize, you know, some of those percentage points. You cannot go past 100 percent. That's it. Game over. So if you're searching for equilibrium, you're never going to find it. You I have uh, I've had like really un, like quite a number of guests now come on and answer that question in a very similar way where they're like, they're like, yeah, that whole thing, that whole like work-life balance thing, it's, it's a myth. You're just going 100% all the time and you're try, you try to reprioritize certain things as you need to. But this concept that you're going to, you know, through really great scheduling and through uh, precise delegation skills, you're going to get to this place where it's all calm and quiet and everything is just working flawlessly around you yeah, like a concerto. They're like, it's bullshit, um, which yeah. I, it's like it's it's. You know, it's satisfying in a weird way because on some level it's like, well, you know, we do want to teach people to be healthy and have a nice life and like all that stuff for sure. But you, you're not pursuing it so much that you believe in a a false hope or something that isn't really real. And even the most dialed in and organized people still have to do that balancing act. But the key word there is the act. Yeah. If you look at someone on the tightrope, it's not like they're just like this the whole time. They're constantly doing this. And I think yeah. that that you I, don't find it. You don't find it. You, the, yeah. You don't, you kind of move past it and then the other direction. And the, so anyway, it's, it's a really interesting comment you make. Having said all that, there's gotta be some stuff that when you look back at, at, um, at Balmer Quality Construction, like, are there, maybe just answer this, are there really key systems that you've implemented over the years or uh, really key people, really key roles that you've filled that <clears throat> have allowed for the scalability that you have and given you some of the freedom back that you have? Are there are there really tactical things that you've done that our listeners could learn from? You know, put, put this person in this place, put this system over here. What's worked for you? Well, you realize, you know, when you start as an owner operator and it's yourself, you're up at five o'clock in the morning, you're picking up material, you're driving the site, you're doing the, the work. And in between that, you're taking phone calls and, you know, maybe a lunch or doing another estimate and picking up other material. You know, that, that's it. You only have so many hours in a day that you can be productive. You hire someone to help you. You know, now they're picking up the material, carrying things in. You can focus on what you're better at. But that's giving away, you know, maybe half of your your income. The third person's only a third. The fourth is a quarter. You know, you need to start putting people in place to do those tasks that you can teach them to do or people that are better than you or more efficiently you at those and happier doing those tasks. Nobody likes doing everything. Um, the key individual putting into a corporation is really a, a chief financial officer. You know, marketing, I think a lot of people are tuned into that, how to capitalize on marketing. Um you can do that yourself through your brand, content you're putting out, whatever it may be, you know, get, get yourself a television show, whatever it may be. Um, but if you're not a finance guy, you know, I, I used to get into QuickBooks and do all my stuff and accounting. It takes hours and it takes hours that I could be focused on my kids or focused on marketing or focused on sleeping. 
uh, you know, or, or hitting the gym or whatever it may be. So when we got to a point of 10, 12 employees, it started to get a lot easier because each employee you add or each major position you add is a smaller piece of your gross revenue and it's easier to swallow. Um, you know, and everybody's out there trying to make more, more, more money. But one of the easiest ways to, to make more money is to actually reduce your costs. So start looking at ways you can reduce your operating costs, reduce your maintenance costs, return, you know, some of that pile of shit you've got in your shop that you don't need left over from jobs, you know, start, start being more efficient that way and put it into people. Um, we get comments all the time that, you know, our staff, whether it be at the construction company or installers or designers or staff at the hotel, you know, people rave about our staff and how great they are. Um, and they say, how do, how do you do it? How do you find these people? And the, the honest answer is it's process of elimination. You know, I, I used to I used to do the send me your send me your CV, send me your resume and then, you know, come in for an interview. And then, OK, you're hired. You show up on the job and the guy that showed up and said, I'm the best carpenter in the world. I want forty five bucks an hour. Can't cut a, a rafter, you know, and you, you stare at them and you think, well, what the hell is going on here? So I got to a point years ago, and this was before television, I, I just said, listen, uh, come down for the day, I'll give you 10 bucks an hour, you know, jump up on the roof. And at the end of the day, we'll, we'll decide, you know, if you're worth it and what you're worth kind of thing. And the guys said, well, I'm not doing that. Okay, see you later. Some guys would come in and blow me away. Other guys would come in and say, I, you know, I really don't know how to. That's okay. Right. We can jump up there and in half an hour, I can teach you. You know, and I can teach you the way I want to teach you and, and, and you get through that way. So it's, it's really about you know, having and fostering a, a corporate mentality and a corporate attitude that everybody is valuable. Mm -hmm. And just because you're not the CEO, you know, and, and I, I said this to one of our bartenders at the hotel last uh, uh, a couple of months ago, he's a really young guy and he was excited to be there. And I said, what do you want to do? And he said, oh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I like this business. I said, well, I'll be totally honest with you. If you want to own this hotel in 10 years, you can, mm. you know, work your ass off, learn things, be proactive, show up early, put in extra effort, work with the assistant general manager, work with the, the water sports guys, learn everything you can about this, you know, save some of your money and you can do it. Mm. If you want to go out drinking every weekend and finance toys, it's not going to happen for you, but you know, you can, you can do what you want to do. So it's about finding people, and of course, process of elimination is, is the biggest one. But I, I would say the most important and the key key person in your business is a really good finance person. You know, our our CFO, um, you know, keeps us out of jail with taxes. He keeps forecasts put together. He keeps um, revenue. He manages costs. He he takes care of that that whole thing, and he can simplify and dumb it down for the janitors in the company uh, to understand. It's. Uh we just had a guy. Uh, you, you probably don't know him. He's he's uh, he's a he owns a company called A One Garage Door. His name's Tommy Mello. He's a friend of ours. He uh, he's having a huge amount of success in the garage door industry in the U.S. He's operating in sixteen or seventeen states. I think he's on trend to do one hundred eighty million this year. And he said the exact same thing, almost the exact same way that you just said it. He's like, the number one thing I did is I got a really sophisticated <clears throat> money guy on my team. Yep. I spend a lot on him. He's very expensive, and I, yep. it's worth every single penny and then some. And uh, it's just interesting. I think I think at these larger scales of business that you're at and that he's at, it is just those are dollars really, really well spent. So it's interesting to to see uh, the the alignment between you and him. That was just a couple of weeks ago. Um, couple. Now couple it's even 
even if smaller, you know, for smaller companies, there are CFOs that will split their time amongst multiple companies. Fractional. So that is one really key thing to look for. If your if your skill is in marketing and you know measuring, cutting, and nailing things together, yeah. focus on the things you're really good at and put people in place because if you make a mess of the business, and we've got, you know, we've had and we have employees. Uh, who are extremely skilled on the tools. They're amazing. Uh, and they were self-employed at one point, but they're not very good at paying their taxes. Or yeah. They're not very good at you know, putting some money away for a rainy day when you need to warranty something. Um, they're not good at that. So they're now employees. And you know, I don't, I don't want to – not everybody should be an entrepreneur. Not everybody should own a business. There are people and there are a lot of people that – there's a certain value in going home at four o'clock or five o'clock and being able to do whatever you want and having a weekend and being able to do whatever you want there. That, that right there is worth a hundred, 150,000. I mean, I might even say, you know, $250,000 a year to be able to go home on the weekend and put your feet up and not worry about the bullshit that business owners have to put up with and the hours they have to put in. There is huge value in that. So you've got to decide getting into business. Do I want to be the guy with the yacht and the airplane and the island? And, you know, do I want to be that guy? You're going to have to put the time in. That's yeah. that's not vacation time. You know, you're not like young carpenters. I've heard them say, oh, you're billing me out at 45 bucks an hour. Well, I'm going to go out on my own. Yeah, you're going to go out on, on your own. You're not going to work 40 hours a week for 45 an hour. You're going to work 100 hours a week for 15 bucks an hour. I don't uh, know. And, and Do you have an opinion on this, Brian? Like over the last 10 years at some, somewhere along the way, I can't quite pinpoint who or where this exactly comes from, although I can sense it's sort of a general direction from the social media <laughs> business guru direction. At some point, entrepreneurship as a concept has been re-messaged and re-branded as something that's very sexy and very easy and building wealth is. And I'm like, I, that's just content. Like that is, I don't know a single person at the top of their game that actually aligns with some of the messaging around this today. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Do you know how many empty yachts there are anchored in the Bahamas? Probably I mean, hundreds and hundreds of empty yachts right and the only people that get to enjoy those yachts are the people that take care of the sea dudes the people that 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 cook and clean and drive the boat and the people that rent it for a week because if you own a yacht you're not sitting on the yacht all day that's not how it works you don't get paid to sit on the yacht so you know there are a lot of these gurus that say you could be successful they're making content 18 hours a day they're they're actually becoming successful selling the dream of how to be successful a lot of them Right. And and some of them, you know, there are there are some and there's some big names in real estate now that have taken that revenue and actually invested it into getting the returns out of, out, you know, be it real estate or, or technology or, or sales and marketing, whatever it is. So, yeah, um, yeah, on, entrepreneurialism, you have to love what you're doing. You have to love the game. You have to love building the business. You have to love marketing it. You have to love putting in the hours and you have to love dealing with all the bullshit around it. Um are the rewards bigger? You know, that really depends on your perspective. Is your, you know, do you value time more than you value a yacht that you don't get to, to stay on all year? Um, you really have to look at that. And only when you get to a point where, you know, you've got that success and you can take some time off and enjoy these things, 
that's when it pays off. Mm -hmm. So entrepreneurialism for the first 20, 30 years, like I gave away my 30s. I, I worked. I mean, I just worked. That's all I did. Mm -hmm. um, I would take one month a year off and spend it 24-7 with the family. <laughs> uh, but the other 11 months, you know, I put, I put 17 months worth of time in. And, uh, you know, 20 years later, it's starting to pay off in time. But at the end of the day, time is the most valuable thing that, that you've got. As long as you've got food in the fridge, time is worth more than gold. Well, and it's the one resource you can't get more of. Um, what's yeah. what is next for you? You know, you, you've kind of you've, you've given us a really nice walk through your story. What's what are you excited about over the next five to ten? Oh, geez. Um we're looking at some more developments in uh, in Canada. We're doing some de developing east of the city. Um, you know, growing a business there with some partners. We're we're you know continuing to add vacation rental properties. Mm -hmm. We're looking at uh, a couple of more hotels and some some different interesting areas. Uh, we've got some more show content coming up, um, of course, and uh, you know travel. I'm 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 looking to prioritize and put some time aside to actually you know, do some traveling and, and disconnect and allow, allow the teams that I've put into place to, you know, start to grow and, and, and run the businesses. And, and part of that as well is taking management and interested people at your company and starting to let people get a piece of the pie. There's profit sharing, there's equity opportunities, all these things. The last five years, I've really been focused on residual income sources, not sources that I have to actively be involved in, mm. because those are the ones that, that are going to carry, you know, hopefully carry my through my 50s, 60s. And, you know, if I if I make it, you never know, tomorrow mm. might be the day. Mm. Um, but it, it's focusing on on, you know, things I want to do. At this point, I put the hours in that that I can do that. And, um, you know, continuing to grow those residual income sources. Um. I've got so so you're really not slowing down. A little more travel, but you still got lots in motion. Yes. Um, I got There's two, probably more on my calendar than I want to admit. I'm sure there is. I have. Um, yeah. I got two two closing questions. One's a philosophical question. One's a very practical question. So here's the first. Uh, at oh, this, I thought you were. I thought you were digging into uh, Bumler approved as well. And we are. So that's that's that's. Oh, okay. we'll, we'll get into that uh, as as at the end. Um, the, the, the first question is what, what do you know now about business, about life, about family, about career, about success, whatever, what do you know now that you wish you knew then back when you started? Oh, geez. There's a, there's a few things, but I'm, I'm constantly learning. I think, um, yeah, I think one of the biggest things I've learned is that you have to, again, be proactive and reactive, you know, this, this search for the elusive, um, elusive happiness or elusive equilibrium is, is a, is a fallacy. You have to do things and focus your time on, on things that you enjoy. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and not to, not to worry about the small stuff and the, the opinions and, and that kind of thing. Just, just focus on you and focus on what you want to do and what's going to make you happy. Um, and that will make you successful because at the end of the day, you know, happiness and time, that's success. Mm. And if you were to give advice to a young hustler in construction and trades right now, let's say someone in their, their twenties or thirties, they've just started their company. They're in those first few years of startup mode. Things are messy, but they're exciting and fun, but they're also really stressful. 
what would be your advice to someone at that stage of their journey? What should they focus on? Uh, there's a couple of things I'd say, keep your nose clean, <clears throat> just like my mom did, you know, show up when you say you'll be there, do what you say you'll do, cash the check, pay your taxes, uh, stay late, clean up the site, you know, make it presentable for the homeowners. That is the number one marketing tool that you will get word of mouth. Uh, people will, you know, everyone's going to screw up. Um, make sure you're the guy that's going to be there to fix your screw up. Um, you know, for a lot of young people too, that are getting into business, they don't necessarily have the business management skills. Sign up for night courses. You know, when you're done working, go and do the part nine building code update course at, at, at George Brown or Mohawk or one of the other tech schools. Sign up for an online business management course, an accounting course. Um, learn how to do that stuff. That is the number one thing that will kill your business is not knowing how to run the business. You can be the best tradesperson in the world, but if you cannot manage your business, your physical business, the finances, the marketing, the taxes, you, you'll, you'll be working for free and eventually, you know, the, the CRA is going to get, going to get you. Um, very well said. Now I do, I do want to, uh, I do want to ask you about Balmer approved. Uh, so for our listeners who don't know about it, can you just maybe give us a bit of a blurb an overview on it? Uh, why did you build it? What function does it serve and where can people find out more about it? Yeah, so we started um, years ago. You know, we we get five thousand emails a week. People saying, "Hey, we're you know, do you have a plumber I can use? Do you have an electrician I can use? Do you have a framer I can use? Um, you know, home inspector, it, it, everything." People ask us for everything through, through social media, the website. So, Bomber Approved was really a homeowner service company that we opened and said, "Look, if we're going to recommend somebody or we're going to put a listing up because people said put up a listing of your trades. So I, I don't want a listing of my personal right. trades that we use. I, I need, busy. I need yeah. them. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not giving you their name. Right. Um, so <clears throat> we opened this company as a service to homeowners and uh, you know, it's at bomberapproved.com and essentially it's recognition of trades that we work with that we've vetted, you know, we make sure they're well-referenced and, and not just, you know, mom, dad, and, and uncle Bob, you know, sent in a reference. This is, if, if you're a tile installer and you're a good tile installer, your supplier knows your name. You're picking up skids of tile every week from that. He knows your name. You know, you're not going and buying a box from Depot, a box from Lowe's, a box from Walmart, where you have a supplier, you know the name. We want to talk to those suppliers. We want to talk to trade references. We want to talk to other contractors that you work with, general contractors, other trades you might be on site with. We want to know that you're licensed. Uh, you know, in your municipality, you operate a business, but also if you're an electrician, plumber, HVAC, gas fitter, that you have that secondary license as well. Those have to be maintained and updated every six months to make sure that they're there. Um, you know, we want to make sure that you have workers' comp coverage. If you're working at someone's home and you injure yourself, if it's required, we want to make sure you have liability insurance. And that's a specific certificate that says, hey, Balmer approved. This company is currently paid up for X amount. Homeowners should get that too. You know, it should go to the homeowner in their name. It's not a blanket. You know, I printed this out off the internet. So essentially what we do is we do all the background checks that, that a homeowner would do when they're hiring someone. We do the vetting. We do the due diligence. Now, does that say that, you know, I, I often refer to it, you know, it's like going to church with your mom and, and she says, there's 10 girls. Uh, you know, they're all pretty girls. They all come from great families. They're all... But, you know, there's only one in there that's right for you. They, they all have the credentials that they need, but you have to connect with the one that's right for you. 
Are they all perfect? You know, of course not. People are going to make mistakes. We make sure as a backup that there's some mediation there that we want to work with people that have the same ethics as us, the same standards as us, the same people that go, oh, shit, made a mistake. We're going to come back and fix that. Um, so we, we've assembled this list. We've got a couple of hundred members. And essentially that, that Balmer approved logo is, again, for the company, if they take advantage of it, a massive marketing opportunity for them. I think it's a, I think it's a hundred bucks a month or in, in that area. So it's, it's low cost recognition that you've done all your homework. You've done your due diligence. You've got everything you have to have in the bag. It's your performance and the feedback we get from homeowners that, that will really, you know, keep you in the program or, or get you booted out. In other words, you have a name and a brand that is trusted with homeowners and you've leveraged that into uh, basically a stamp of approval that you are willing to give to certain contractors who meet pretty strict criteria and need to continue meeting it. And by giving them that stamp of approval, they're more recognizable, they're more trusted, uh, they're more searchable and findable. uh, It's an easier business to transact with from the homeowner's perspective. Am I getting that right? Yeah, the idea and the same thing when I went after, you know, getting advertising on the show, you know, if, if Joe the plumber in the left lane and Joe the plumber in the right lane and Joe the plumber has a, a recognized brand, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call that guy. Yeah, um, it's a marketing tool. But even even more important for us, it's, you know, we have millions and millions of people to watch the show. So we have people across Canada coming in saying, hey, where can I find a builder in Saskatchewan? And we said, well, here, go here. We've got, you know, five guys that 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 are all above board. We've done all the research on them. You have to do your own due diligence and make sure that's the right one to work for you. You know, not everybody is 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 going to be right. All companies operate differently. The minute you involve humans, it's a bit of a mess. So we've we've definitely had some nightmares with you know members in the past that have sure. had to be removed from the sure. program. Yeah. We don't want them associated with the brand. Yeah. I think a bigger thing, well, you know, for some of our members that really take advantage of the marketing and are really proactive with it. Um, it's done incredibly, incredibly well for them. And we have supplier, you know, we have, we have some great suppliers through, you know, the television networks and programs that we work with, uh, that do free training courses that do certification. We've got suppliers that, that provide discounts for members. So we have some members saving 40 or $50,000 a year on material purchases, you know, by taking advantage of the savings programs, just of being in a, a larger organization. So it, you know, it's not for everybody. Um, but, you know, for people that operate, you know, the way we do, we, we want to do a good job. We want to be stand up. We want to, you know, charge enough that we can afford to come back if and when we make a mistake, because everybody will at some point. Um, those are the people that, that are in the program and those are the people that can really take advantage of it and, and let it let it help them grow their business the way the way I used to recognize brand to grow mine. Totally. Totally. And and if someone's listening to this and they go, Ooh, I could really that's cool. Like I want to learn more. Where where would they do you have a website there just like a landing page or somewhere that you'd send them to go and just investigate and maybe they can uh, browse through some info, I don't know, book a call. Like where's kind of the centralized hub for all that? Yeah, if they can jump on, it's BaumlerApproved.com is the website. Uh, it's on all social channels as well if you just search up Baumler Approved. Okay. We'll um, throw a link in the description yeah, too. There's, uh, yeah, there, there's, there's resources for homeowners as well just to go on, you know, how to hire someone, how to vet someone, that kind of thing. Uh, we really put it together. I mean, it's not a massive revenue source. Um, we really put it together as a service for homeowners to, to, to find vetted decent trades and, and help promote some of the trades and – to save some of those trades some money and give them, 
you know, some tools and, and some opportunities to, to take their marketing to the next level. So let's leave it at that. That's all the time we have today. I, um, uh, for those of you listening, as I just mentioned, there'll be a link to Balmer approved in the description. You can click on that. You can go check them out, see if it makes sense for you. Um, they are an approved vendor partner of ours here at breakthrough Academy. Uh, and we are of course fans, uh, Brian, this has been a really insightful and fun conversation. I think we hit all the stuff I wanted to and then some. I want to uh, sincerely thank you for your time and stay cool down there, man. Avoid those storms. I'll give it a shot. <laughs> I'll give it a shot. I'm going to be up. I'll be putting my park on next uh, on Monday, actually. So. You coming back to Canada back soon? Home. Yeah, we're coming back. Uh, coming back home for a little while well it's freezing so dress warm and be prepared for a little bit of a shock as you leave those airport doors um thanks so much for being here man we'll see you next time yeah thanks for having me it was fun Thanks a lot for listening to this episode of Contractor Evolution. Uh, if you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it. 